Hi, this is Heidi. I'm here with Artists at Work, and today, episode two, um, we have as our guest Tina Garrett. It's just exciting for me because she is an, an amazing artist. She's like the best artist I know. <laughs> best artist even those I don't know. Oh, stop. She's studied Ala Prima portraiture at the Scottsdale Art School. Uh, she studied visual communication at the Art Institute of Colorado. She is a world class. In fact, she teaches all over the world, um, portraiture and oil painting. So, um, this is our second episode of Artists at Work, and it's sponsored by the Artist Sanctuary, which is a nonprofit that I founded for artists um, with the mission to be a catalyst for artist success. And I lose my glasses now that I don't have to use anything. And welcome, Tina. So glad to see you. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Heidi. Well, I'm so excited to get into this. I can already see some of your studio in the background. But to begin with, I'm so interested in hearing this. I've I know a little bit of your story, which was amazing to me. You're just very naturally talented, but you just jumped into the art world really in a short amount of time before you became wildly successful. You know, so whatever you've done, you know, and add to your talent, you know, because not everybody can just go down the same path and be at your level, but um, your method of doing things was a path to success. And I think you just shot right up there because of the way you did it. So um, please let me know how you grew up, what inspired you, um, what brought you into the art field, and just let us know everything. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, sometimes I think perceptions are a little bit different for other people. You know, what someone else might think is a long time, somebody else thinks is a short amount of time. But I started painting in 2012. Uh, I had been a graphic designer and illustrator uh, for about 10 years before that uh, on a freelance basis. And I found that that work completely dried up, uh, mainly because of uh, iPods and um, iPhone inventions. So I had been doing children's type illustration that required kids to use scissors and glue and all that kind of stuff and, you know, to trace things and to create paper dolls and things like that. And of course, overnight, it went uh, to all digital. And so the publishing house that I worked with didn't really see that coming. And I, of course, wasn't in that realm. I was just the person receiving a project and then doing a project. And so I essentially um, spent about a year without any work to do at all. And I decided that if I was going to have to reinvent myself and pick another career anyway, that I might as well go for what I had always wanted to do since I was a child, which was to be a master painter. So I started looking for a place to try to find a way to learn how to do that. And everything that I could find uh, was foreign, uh, faraway classes that you'd have to sign up for two or four years at a time. And I had, uh, at the time, an 11-year-old and a 12-year-old, and there was no way I was going to be able to go and study for four years somewhere. Uh, eventually, I came across the Art Renewal Center's website, and they have this fantastic map of their ARC-approved ateliers. And I was able just to click on the red dots uh, and try to find a place where I could take a one-week-long intensive. And I found the Scottsdale Artist School, and they offered not only one-week and short-term intensive studies, but they also offered scholarships. So I sent them a couple pictures of some pastels I had made. Uh, based off of uh, stuff I had learned how to do in high school, and I ended up getting a scholarship there, in, and it was actually nine years ago this month that I took my first oil painting class and, and really 
hit the ground running because I needed to continue to contribute to my family income the way I had in the past. So I treated learning how to oil paint like a full-time job. I took that one week long intensive with Romel de la Torre, came back home and immediately started doing the color charts and reading further the book A la Prima by Richard Schmidt. And this was before A la Prima 2 had been published, just a few months before. And uh, as soon as that came out, I got it, and there's even more content in there. And I just essentially took it, uh, the task of learning how to be a painter very seriously. So I think I attribute my quickness, if you want to call nine years quick, uh, into to learning what I've learned uh, to having fantastic teachers, having incredible support here for my family. At one point, my husband was working three jobs. And he said, just keep investing in yourself until, you know, you have, till you can start to contribute. And, and if I get really tired, I'll let you know, which who has that, who gets that kind of support. So essentially I spent the first three years just learning and, and any money I made as a painter, I put back towards my education or towards sending me to where he calls them my people, <laughs> to where the other artists are, where the gallerists are, you know, to the conferences and things like that. So I don't know if you want to call that quick. I don't know. It feels like a lifetime, but it also has been so much fun. It doesn't really feel like it's been that long either. I guess maybe I'm thinking from back when I first met you, which was maybe five or six years ago. So at that point, maybe you were a few years in. So, um, you know, I'm stuck back there. <laughs> yeah, nine years is a long time, but boy, um, your work is um, just so fantastic, award-winning, and you teach your classes in countries all over the place. But I want to back up just for one moment for those who don't know what an atelier is. Would you explain that a little bit? Sure. Essentially, it's just a school that studies in indoor studio painting. So if you want to learn how to paint from a live model or from a photo um, or in the classical styles of painting, an atelier is what you're looking for. And the Art Renewal Center does a really great job of kind of investigating art schools and putting them through kind of a rigorous list of, of checks and balances to see whether or not they're approved so that you don't go and put money into taking a lesson from a place and not leave with any kind of real study or credentials. So um, the Scottsdale Artist School, and actually there are several, I wouldn't say dozens of ARC-approved ateliers or indoor studying uh, places across the United States. And more today than there were when I started 10 years ago, which is really, really good. Yeah, so then if anyone has that desire and wants to go down that path and is serious about um, being accurate and figurative, you know, that's an awesome path to take. And now there's more options. And you said Art Renewal Center is ARC. Correct. Yes. ARC is their acronym, but it really doesn't matter whether your subject matter is portraiture or figurative or landscape or, I mean, there are lots of different schools of thought that you can learn regardless of what the subject you're painting is. It's still a classical application of the, of the study in terms of you're going to be learning from master painters who have a specific curriculum to teach you as opposed to, you know, and there are a lot of great books to learn from. There are a lot of great DVDs and videos to learn from. And so really, nowadays, it's endless options. That's awesome. So um, when you first started um, earning the living then and contributing 
Um, I've noticed that you have won so many um, important art contests. What made you start applying for those? Or well, luckily, I have a background. Um, before I was an illustrator, I was an art director at a small PR firm, and so I understand marketing and public relations. And I took a little buffer kind of refresher course on that as well from a local um, uh, creative coach here, which kind of helped me remember all the things I hadn't used in 10 years. And um, essentially for me, entering a competition is an advertising adventure. So I am attempting to uh, connect my paintings with a particular organization. And if the juror of that show says that it is the winner, then I would receive in return for that, not just prize money, but also um, PR. Uh, they're going to contact you and interview you. They're going to ask about your other work. They're going to put that winning prize and other work and information about you on their website and social media. Uh, and that's just one of the, the aspects of essentially you're opening a Pandora's box of free advertising if you win a competition. So competitions are, for me, not about you know, getting the praise of it because I'm supposedly good or not good. Because the same exact painting has literally gotten a best in show in one show and not even accepted in another show. So it's not about that. That's all a matter of taste. Every juror has their own taste, what kind of things they like. And individual shows have their own kind of flavor to them. There is a, a an element of logic to it. For instance, I'm not particularly an animal portrait painter, so I wouldn't enter a human being painting in an animal portrait competition because my chances of winning are zero. <laughs> so you have to do a little bit of work and make sure that you're entering competitions that your work qualifies for. And part of what I offer, what I explain to my students is to look at the winners, the top three winners for the top for the past three years in any particular show. And take those images and put them out on your computer screen and put your best images on the computer screen. Do your images compare to that? Then if they do, you have a good chance of winning that show. So, you know, if, if you are still making uh, what looks like really amateur work, then you need to go back and study some more. And don't you can't just keep getting mad that you've been trying to enter Oil Painters of America for the last 10 years. If the work's not up to par, the work's not up to par. So it's not a conspiracy theory to make sure that you know, only certain people win or anything like that. It really is about the quality of the work. And then on top of that, it's about the, the taste of the individual jurist, which changes every single show. So it just, it, some of it is a luck of the draw. Some of it is how well you research out the shows and what you enter. And then how, how much effort you put into your own uh, mastery. And the marketing and um, your business plan with your artwork has moved to also doing creating classes yourself. Oh, yeah. You're the teacher. Yes. Um, and where can those classes be found? Well, actually, Heidi, I've been teaching since my first year as a, as a, a painter. So I started learning how to paint in 2012. By 2013, I was having my own classes. And part of that was because I was on social media kind of I guess, documenting my whole journey, explaining to people what I was doing, having had to change jobs and having to have to build this new career for myself. 
And local artists, rural Missouri artists contacted me and said, hey, can you show us what you learned when you were out in Scottsdale? And like I said, my husband was working many jobs <laughs> and said, if you if you do that for free, I'm going to wring your neck. And I, I said, well, if, if I'm going to charge these women money, then I need to have and offer them a legitimate experience. So I invested in, you know, studio easels. We built um, model stands. I hired models. I got costumes. I got great lighting. And I put together a curriculum and I started teaching and I, I found, that, which I had never in my life considered myself to be a teacher, but I found that I absolutely loved it. I felt high. I was excited. When the class was over, I was energized and ready to do it again. And so, of course, with the pandemic, uh, there isn't any in-person teaching going on, but I had already been doing online teaching and mentoring on my own and through the Portrait Society for about three years before the pandemic. So it was very easy to just switch to a completely online model. And so right now you can see what's happening teaching-wise at TinaGarrett.com, but um, I do still teach through other venues. The Scottsdale Artist School, I've done two or three online workshops with them since December. And I'm doing an online workshop through um, the Dojo Atelier, which is an Austin, Texas atelier. They uh, are hosting an online workshop for me as well. So I'm pretty much everywhere. There's nowhere you can't find me, <laughs> which might be good or might be bad to you. You might be like, oh, <laughs> yes, no more. <laughs> it's terrible. Well, again, that's I-N-A, and then Garrett has two R's and two C's. Yes, that's right. So, D-A-R-R-E-T-T dot com. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. And what's the date of the upcoming one? That's in July. I'm not going to be able to tell you the exact date because numbers escape me. But <laughs> all of them are listed at TinaGarrett.com, no matter where they're actually at. So, um, brilliant at everything, you know. Right? <laughs> exactly. We cannot count or tell time. <laughs> so, we're always, we're, we're never late. We're always two hours early because we're so worried we're going to be late. <laughs> People like me. <laughs> so, I want to talk to you a little bit about the process you go through when you start to create a painting. Okay. What is the first thing you do with the preparation? Okay. So essentially, I paint what I am just driven to paint. I, I paint whatever it is in my gut that's speaking to me. I have a lot of different paintings going on in my brain right now. I've got five or ten going on, and some of them I've been working on for years. And that might mean that I have taken photos for that, set up live uh, model setups, uh, done investigative type uh, visual uh, inspiration on that a couple, three years ago, and that's still brewing back here. And when I'm ready to paint it, I'll know. And so that's one of the first things I tell my students is that if you're not painting what you are just dying to paint, then you're probably not going to have the enthusiasm and the energy to get through the problem-solving process that's going to be required if you're going to try to paint that in a representational way. Now, if you're going to paint it in an abstract way where really there is no drawing or measurement or any other kind of fundamentals that have to be uh, upheld, then you can paint what you want to paint anytime you want to paint. 
and you don't have to, to toil over it the way that a representational painter needs it to look like that thing when you're finished. So there has to be some element of understanding what, you know, drawing values, edges, uh, texture, temperature, all that stuff. You have to have a basic understanding of those things or else they aren't going to look real. And one of the things I absolutely love is when someone who comes to my studio to pick up a painting that they've commissioned me to do, they'll start to cry because they feel like they're really connected to that painting and they feel like I've captured that person so efficiently and, and they just feel in love with the work. And that's, that's just the most, that's the highest high there is for me. <laughs> so I always paint what I absolutely love to paint. Even if it's a commissioned piece, I won't accept it if I can't get my enthusiasm to that level. And so, um, I do a lot of research in photography and a lot of editing of that photography in it ahead of time. I do a lot of different uh, costume changes, lighting changes and things like that. If it's a from life uh, painting, all that stuff is really honored. And I'm always sort of shocked whenever I go into a studio situation. We might do like a live studio thing. We've done them here at my studio here in Lee Summit. And they do them all the time at the Scottsdale Artist School. But I'm always taken aback when I see painters are already getting their paints out and toning their canvas, and there isn't even a model in the room, much less on the stand and lit. And I think to myself, how do they know what colors they need to get out? How do they know, you know, what approach they want to take? Because I, I paint in and teach three different ways to start a painting, and I decide what way I'm going to start a painting based on what I learn from that situation that I'm looking at. So not every painting is problem is solved in the same way. So I would never just get out the same 12 colors every single time or approach the canvas always in line and value block in or always in selective start or always in accurate color wash. There's no always for me. Uh, for me, it's always observe what's happening in that situation and then kind of discover what that is going to be the easiest, most efficient, funnest way to pull that illusion off. So that's kind of how I do it. And then when I do get into my painting mode, I'm, I'm pretty picky about my space being just right and my music being exactly how I want it. And everyone in my life knows they're going to have to leave me alone for three to nine days. <laughs> and that's kind of hard to deal with. But um, the more successful I am at it, the more supportive my family is. <laughs> They're all like, oh my gosh, she's going to go make a masterpiece that's going to sell for $10,000. We're going to leave town and let her do that. <laughs> We're going to go, bye mom. We're going to go let you get to that. <laughs> for the trip. Probably. <laughs> it's really great though. It's re it is really great. I do have to say that at so many people who, who can paint as well as I can and who want to have the kind of career I have are not, they don't have that structural, uh, family, uh, really supportive stuff going on. And that, and that's, that's a whole nother job to just carry that along or to say, do that in another 40 hour work week or do that while having a baby on your hip. There's a lot to say about having that support there and how your chances of becoming successful just rise so much higher if you do. And also the, the personalities are different. You know, you have a, um, a very meticulous, success-driven personality, and it looks like you thrive on that. And you know what to do because of previous experience, or you, you know 
the process, whether or not you knew at the time what to do or not. But <laughs> going through that process, and some people don't have that skill as well. But that's probably something they didn't learn, you know. And um, again, I encourage you to take one of Tina's workshops that's been on my bucket list for years. And I still haven't done it, but I'm telling you, I am. And that I, um, because you offer classes in where South Africa, um, Italy, um, what other countries? Spain? I was, I've been to Spain for the Art Renewal Centers, um, at the Museum of Modern Art. When you win an award at, uh, with ARC, uh, during the salon that they do, your paintings travel to Spain and that's where the award ceremony happens. And, and that happens at the Museum of Modern Art in Europe, which is called the Meme. And, uh, so I have been there, uh, once. I've had paintings there many times, but I've been there once. But I haven't yet taught in Barcelona, and I would love to. I'd love to go back. But I do teach in Italy at the Florence studio. Uh, I also have taught in Tuscany at a private studio, but that no longer exists. And then I have been invited to teach at the Dutch Atelier of Realist Art in Netherlands. And that got pushed back from last March to this coming September. So all fingers are crossed that, that everything will be back to a semblance of normal and, and travel, international travel will be open again. I was also due to teach in Australia at Vicki Sullivan's studio, which has been indefinitely postponed. So I'm actually teaching that workshop online this month, the end of this week, actually. And it's really weird because <laughs> when it's four o'clock in the afternoon here on a Thursday, that's 8 a.m. the next day in Australia. So the time zone thing is really tricky. And in that workshop, I have artists who are in Australia, in Spain, in Canada, in uh, Hawaii, California, and in the Midwest, and then on the East Coast. So I have to send out this whole list of, for you, the workshop starts on this day at this time. <laughs> for this person, it starts at this day and this time. Just so I can get everybody online at the same time. <laughs> so it is fun, uh, but challenging. But, uh, yeah. Okay, life savings time in there. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that is actually what the, the last email that went out, I had to, I was pulling my hair out because I had to change. It was no longer 8 a.m. for Australia. It was or no longer 9 a.m. for Australia. It was now 8 a.m. for Australia because of the time change. <sighs> yes, I do have openings for that still. Yeah, but that starts Thursday. That's so that's tomorrow at four o'clock in the afternoon. So if you don't get signed up for that one, you're going to have to wait for the next one. And I will say we are recording this a week in advance of when it will air. So darn it. I yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Really, online there is no such thing as full. So uh, there, yeah, there, when you're teaching online, I've had as many as 43 students in the room, and no one seems to know or care. Everyone gets one-on-one -on -one attention. Uh, a lot of the workshops, I leave the content for the workshop in the group that they can watch it for about seven more days and they can turn in their homework at any time. And so we really get to have like this relationship for the week. And it's very fun and relaxed and uh, everybody gets a front row seat and everyone can hear really well. That's another aspect to uh, online teaching that has kind of trumped the in-person thing because you never have to rush and hurry up that you're sitting on the chair right behind mine. You know, everybody looks like they're they're in the front row. Well, we talked about um, sensitivity, uh, issues that artists may come 
talked about attending workshops in Italy or Texas, no matter how much you want to, um, is the cost involved. You know, yes. you've got to get there, you've got lodging, you've got food. You know, there's additional expenses unless they're all covered in your workshop price. But uh, online, you know, that just, I think, is the wave of the future from now on, really. Although we do love to get together. So I still see both going on, but I see more online opportunities. I do. And I have to say, with my online mentorship, which goes um, for a month, or it goes for a year, it goes once a month for a year. And I have two different levels of mentorship that do that. One of them is called Fundamentals, where we study all of the fundamentals, such as value, drawing, edges, temperature, all that stuff. And then the other one is the creative level, and you have to be qualified to be accepted into that mentorship group. And in that one, we study higher-end um, philosophies and understandings such as concept, narrative, design, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so um, I have to say the students who have completed the first year of online mentorship have accelerated so much faster than students who took many one-on-one. I have several students who have been with me in person for private lessons or in person to multiple workshops. And I think the reason why online students excel quicker is because they don't have to carry that anxiety of showing up in person. Am I dressed right? Do I have all the same tools and supplies my neighbor has? Did I forget something? Do I have my lunch packed or my lunch money? I mean, there's just so many things involved with like you say, travel expenses and all that other things, that you you get a sense of like their ability to comprehend everything I'm showing them is kind of blocked by all those other concerns. And that the students who've done the online courses with me, they don't even have to do their hair. They're never on camera. I don't care if they're getting up to go refill their coffee. I don't even know it. And so they can literally, and then of course the aspect of being able to rewatch all of it over and over again. They don't have to scramble to take notes because there's that assurance that that content is there and it belongs to them. And so there's just so much, uh, I've really seen a huge difference. And I'm just trying to sort of document it a little bit so that I can see, you know, maybe there are some things that when in-person workshops start up again, that I can help prevent some of that, you know, hurdles that have led to in-person workshop students not seeming to excel as much as one-on or group or one-on-one online workshops do. That's fantastic. Um, I'd like to take some time and you have some paintings right there in the studio where you can kind of show us your work. No, I, you didn't tell me to do that. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. Just to insert them. Yeah. No, I've got literal blank walls in here because this is where the paint flings. <laughs> this is where the paint flings. So uh, there are, and part of the reason why I originally tried to set up this interview with you well, from my phone is because there is quite a bit of artwork around my home hanging that I could show you. But as you said, there's so much online and I can send you images if that helps in any way. Yeah, we'll get them on here so then people can see your work while we're talking and afterwards. And, Great. Um, also, they know how to get your website and you're on Facebook. Yes. And, um, but we don't have any to look at right now. How about if we take a tour of your studio? Oh, sure. Yes. I love the way you have it. Yeah. Okay, so I'll just back up a little or so that I can see more fully. And essentially, I have a rack and I, I hang my paintings by color. So I segregate all my paints by either red, yellows, or blues. 
And that helps me uh, not only because they're out, laid out here in a visual way, I can get to what I need really quickly, but I can also tell what's missing really quickly. And that is a really benefit as before, whenever I kept my paints in a drawer, or in a bucket or in a box, I would buy paints thinking I was out of certain ones only to dig around and find that I still had several of those paints. So I never do that anymore. I know when I'm out, I know exactly what to restock. Um, I also keep my paints. Uh, let me see if I can get over here and show you a little bit about where my, um, <laughs> this is so fun. Right. <laughs> so I have, let me see if it'll let you see. I have all my new brushes uh, in this level, and they're all separated by type. And that way, when I need something brand new, I can get to it really easy. And then I have my next one down, I have my older brushes. Let's see if I can show you that. Oh, that's not my older brushes. That's my other drawer. Oh, um, God knows what. <laughs> These are brushes that have been used before. And they're not, doesn't mean that they're old and won't be used. It just means that they have been used before. And so I dig through those for when I need what I need. And I never really throw a brush away. As long as there's a single hair still growing on it, it can be used for something. So <laughs> there's that. And then I have, um, my studio is not huge. I would say it's about 15 feet by 15 feet. So I do have a sofa in here if I need to paint from life. I can lay someone there. I have a little rolly cart uh, next to my easel that has things I'm going to use on that particular day. Uh, and all of my research books, I absolutely love looking at what the past artists have done. And then uh, this is just a little Bouguereau study, but uh, this is my actual easel that I use, and I have uh, it really well lit in here. And then over here, let's see if I get around this way. <laughs> I have all my cards and letters uh, from Richard Schmidt and Nancy Guzik, and they're cheering me on all the time and sending me sweet nothings, and it's been really fantastic. I have little mementos my kids made for me over the years, and so this is this is kind of my happy place. <laughs> well, you know, I think our artist Ned needs to be a happy place because we have to be kind of like in that warm fuzzy. This is. Cozy, um, I've loved in this space I've created. Yes. And move forward and do your work that way. <laughs> boy, it looks like you've got, you've got everything covered. It's nice and organized. Um, I've seen, um, like famous artists, they preserve their, um, studios and they've gone the range of being super messy to super organized. And I love how you've organized yours. Mine's the super messy. <laughs> well, mine goes from, from messy to clean. So, uh, when I'm in, when I'm here and I'm making artwork, it gets very, very messy. And I don't worry about cleaning it until that painting is finished. And then I go back to what we call beauty base zero, <laughs> where everything gets put back where it belongs. And, you know, the caps get found and put back on the tubes and the brushes get cleaned and all that stuff happens. Yeah. Then it's just kind of a little um, a cycle, essentially, because if I leave it messy, then I waste a lot of materials. I ruin brushes because they aren't found and cleaned. And, uh, you know, I'll, or a painting gets left out and scratched because I drug something over on top of it. So when a painting is finished, it leaves this room. I have a whole drying station that's downstairs. I have a, a workshop space that's downstairs that about 14 artists and two models can be in it at any given time. 
And I've had Romel de la Torre, um, Michelle Dunaway, Dennis Perrin, Sanka Kordic. I've, um, oh gosh, I've just had so many great artists come to see me here. <laughs> so, but I have that little drying station down there and that really helps. And I can, once the painting is fully dry, I can varnish and stretch down in that other studio space too. So this really is the room where just the painting happens. I don't even edit my photo references here. Um, I have a whole nother work desk that's about um, another foot higher than this one. It's a standing desk. I don't sit at that desk. And that's where I do all of my administrative work. I do my instructional video editing and emailing and all that stuff, website updates, all that. That usually happens at that desk. But there's a pool table in that room and a fireplace and everyone hangs out in there. And so that's a different mode. You know, that's part of what I was saying. When I, when I come to the studio to paint, I am really here. I'm, it's part of why it's almost hard to be in here when I'm not ready to paint because I feel like the urge to paint so badly and like it seems like I'm, something's getting taken away from me. Like, dang it, I'm not, I'm in here, but I don't get to paint today. <laughs> Which unfortunately, or, or fortunately, however you want to look at it. A lot of people misconceive that if you're a professional artist, that you paint all the time and that someone else does all the other aspects of your business. And that simply isn't true for me. So I would say I paint about 40% of my time and the rest of my time is running my business. Well, I know that um, you paint on canvas. Do you also paint on wood panel? Or what, what do you prefer? Do you stretch canvas? Yes. I do stretch all the canvases that I use primarily because uh, a lot of the work that I send ships far away. And so it can be a lot less expensive if I can take that painting off the stretcher and roll it in a tube. It can cost $250 to ship it instead of $2,050. And that's those are real actual prices. So a 40 by 60 or 30 by 40 framed and shipped in a crate is going to be thousands of dollars compared to what it is in a tube. So... Um, on the rare occasion, I will paint some small pieces uh, that I will mount on after they're painted. I will mount them to something like an archival plexiglass. But that's just um, a habit. It's not necessarily a thing that has to happen. It's just a, something I enjoy doing. But as, in terms of actual painting, I would much prefer to paint on a, a hard surface than a bouncy canvas. But... Um, <laughs> Such is life. <laughs> you just do what you got to get done. <laughs> well, let me ask you this that came up with my brain. When you roll up your canvas to ship overseas or wherever you need to ship it, do you put tissue paper or anything over it, over the, or do you just roll it? I mean, so what are the preparations? Yes, you, you have to roll it in such a way that the outside edge of your canvas doesn't scratch anything on the actual painted surface. And usually that's pretty easy to do because the part that goes around the picture frame is all included, right? So your first initial uh, sharp edge is hidden uh, in an area that's not going to scratch anything. So you're rolling it pretty tight. But what I do is tape it to a dowel rod first. So the wooden dowel rod and then the tape, and then I use just a regular masking tape. And then you just that way you prevent having any kind of unfolding inside that circle and then that gets um, put inside a really heavy duty tube it, it's just like a half an inch thick you couldn't bend this thing with a car I mean it's just really heavy duty tube and then that before it gets put in the tube the whole thing gets wrapped in plastic because believe it or not you're shipping things you're shipping and often get wet 
and you don't even want to know how or why. <laughs> You're like, how did this, what did they do? Dunk it in a hot tea or what? <laughs> but I've had, I've had paintings come back from abroad, uh, the ones that were in shows that didn't sell, come back from abroad and I could literally take, I had, the cardboard was so wet, I just, with my hand, I was able to pull it off, the painting. So you you do want to make sure the painting, thank goodness the painting in that case is, was wrapped very securely in plastic, and so the painting itself didn't get wet, just the packaging did. But So you do want to wrap that in plastic. And then you just, uh, if it's going abroad, you have to make sure that all of your customs paperwork and everything else is included on the outside of the packaging. Sometimes they require an actual image of the painting, and then all the information you would need to have about where it's going. And a lot of the time, I'm shipping to... Um, an organization in a particular country that will receive the painting for me, stretch the painting for me, frame the painting for me, and hand deliver it to the buyer or the museum or wherever it's going. So it it's received, framed, and ready to go. It just doesn't get there framed and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, another thought I had is when you're rolling your painting, um, do you have the paint on the inside of the roller or yes. the outside? on the inside. Okay. On the inside. That's the only way I've ever done it. I'm not saying that's the only way it can be done, but that's the only way I've ever done it. I've done a few, but I've always had a question. Things going out, but it was other paintings I was shipping. Um, okay, so what kind of advice would you give to someone just starting out? Oh my gosh, just starting out at like what level? Like today I've decided I want to learn how to paint or I've been painting for five years and I want to be in business because those are two totally different questions. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, if you're just a person who's never done any kind of painting before and you're just starting out, then kudos to you. And I think that you're really smart because no matter what your medium is, whether you're going to paint oil paint or watercolor, or if you're going to write poetry or act or sing or whatever, learn how to play piano. If you can introduce any kind of art into your life, it's as good or better than therapy. And far as far as I'm concerned, it's so good for your blood pressure, so good for your mind, it's so good for your heart, it's so good for your memory. Uh, so that any kind of art in your life is a benefit, and I recommend every person learn how to do it. And I've taught people who had never drawn with a pencil how to paint. So there's no reason why you have to have some sort of pre, you know, ordained, already know how to do things in order to take an oil painting class. There are classes that are designated for advanced painters, but there are also classes that are designated for beginner, beginning painters. So there's always a, a level and a way to break in. Um, if you are starting and you really want to learn how to do what you want to do really quickly, like for instance, you don't want to waste a lot of time, you don't want to spend a lot of extra money taking classes, then I recommend that you try to take classes for the same type of medium and don't skip from medium to medium. You know, don't go to an oil painting class for for two years and then all of a sudden start taking watercolor and then wonder why your oil painting isn't getting any better. So stay within the same medium. But also stay within the same philosophy of teaching. It doesn't mean the exact same teacher, because I've had many, many teachers, and you can see them on the uh, on my bio at tinagarrett.com. But all of them have the same philosophy of painting, the same essential approach, meaning it's a wet-into-wet approach, not a bunch of layers drying on top of each other. So it's a, it's a direct method, not an indirect method of painting, and that helps. 
And they are all either heavily influenced by or directly taught by Richard Schmid. And so they have his processes that have influenced them, and they will essentially teach on the in the meat of it all the same basic information. So you may get someone else who uses a color you've never used before or a brush you've never used before, or they may approach a painting from a different aspect. But in essence, their color mixing ideas are about the same, and their, their philosophies on what's important in painting and how to get to that are essentially the same. And so you waste a lot less time. If you are trying to get from point A to point B, the straightest route is usually that straight line. Don't leave and try to go over there and wonder why you didn't make it here. <laughs> as far as for business people who are starting out, this is the hardest time ever, ever, ever that I have had to um, teach business. I, I do teach a specifically a business mentorship. It is very, very expensive. And I only take two business mentees per year because I give so much to them and I want to make sure that they're getting their money's worth. So I don't take more than two. And it's already a list. So it would be 2022 before I ever even saw anyone new for business. But um, this is a new... This is the, the, this is a pandemic, right? This is something that I've never lived for. Most of the people I know alive have never even had heard of the word pandemic in a serious way before this. And so I hesitate to tell anyone whether or not the rules of business apply now the way they did even one year ago. What I can tell you is what I've been able to do and what I had done through my own career. And essentially the, the core value I think that's made me successful is, well, first of all, I'm very tenacious. Like you said before, I have an intention and I'm going to do the work that it takes to get to it, regardless of what that takes or how hard, how hard it is or how tired I am or whatever. Um, but I also know that the, I want to say this the right way, the, as, as things that are unexpected come up, I am able to change myself and my expectations and my pathway, kind of like water. So imagine a, a river running down uh, a stream bed and there's rocks in the way or a dam in the way or a bridge or whatever. The water will find its way around. It will find its way around. And that's what happens in the world of business at all. But especially right now where the unexpected is coming up and you may have to change what it is you offer for sale or how much you offer it for sale or where you offer it for sale, you might have to change those things uh, instantaneously and then change back and then be or do both. And so being able to be um, flexible about your, your business choices right now to have a lot of support and capital. So part of the reason why I was able to make it in business is because my husband was willing to work extra jobs to financially support me so that every penny I was making which for the first two years, I wasn't making any. <laughs> but for every penny that I was making, I was able to re reinvest it back in myself. So if I sold a painting, I could use that then to buy equipment I needed for the workshop space or to fly somewhere and take a workshop or to host someone here and take give a workshop or whatever. But you, every in a perfect world, you need three years to get any business off the ground and three years of running as hard as you can. In a pandemic to start a business, unless it's very specific to the pandemic, such as selling a mask, <laughs> I'm not sure that, that now is the time to start a business. 
So I think it would be something I would highly advise you to consider um, maybe riding two horses at once while trying to start your business while maintaining the career and income that you have. It's it's just a really scary time to do it. I know that we're all having to rethink and, you know, change up. And um, some of these things will be implanted forever um, about these changes. But um, it's just always it happened when uh, automobiles came and horse and buggy went out. <laughs> That's a great way of saying it. <laughs> They're still going to be good. They're awesome. But, you know, the person who makes the horses, they're not going to be in business for the next 20 years, you know. Um, so we just have to rethink and redirect, like you said, like water. That's really great advice. Well, Tina, you're just so awesome. I just love you. You're just so genuine and sincere and down to earth. And that really appeals to artists of all levels. And um, you offer that for everybody. And so glad you could be here today. Um, we're going to get some of your artwork showing then um, when this is aired. And so everybody can see your work. And if you're listening on the radio, um, when this is aired, then you can always go to TinaGarrett.com. And also, if you're on Facebook, you can do a search for Tina Garrett. And again, two R's, two D's. And do you have R's after your name? Uh, on Facebook? No, it's, you can find my Facebook page at Artist Tina Garrett. Uh, but I also essentially use my regular Facebook profile as my business as well. So you'll find me either way. Okay, great, great. We'll, we'll find you. <laughs> and then like the page and just um, love to visit with Tina um, uh, further about her, her workshops and classes. And you can see all of her wonderful work and the awards and uh, all of her pages. But uh, congratulations, you're just recently in another magazine. Yes. <laughs> oh, I have it here, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Let's take a look. I was just featured in International Artist Magazine. It was so nice of them to do that. There's a, a little uh, feature they did here about my beginnings at the Scottsdale Artist School. So that's when I was teaching at the Scottsdale Artist School, and then they're featuring uh, three of my paintings in this. And they basically just ask about, you know, because it was nine years ago this month, and they kind of asked about how I, I made the full circle from student on a scholarship to being an instructor there, so that was that's really an honor, and I'm I'm very thankful that they did that. Thanks. This episode sponsored once again by um, the Artist Sanctuary, and we're located in Red Wing, Minnesota. Tina is in New Summit, Missouri, which is just outside of Kansas City. So you can find her on the map, and um, and she goes places. So if you have um, when the pandemic's over and you want her to come and teach a workshop, contact her. She's open to that. And um, hopefully we'll get you to the Artist Sanctuary here um, when things calm down a little bit. I would love to, Heidi. It would be so great to see you again. I can't wait. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, thank you again. And you have a great uh, day. You can find Artists at Work, which is this show. Uh, on Facebook as well, and it's artists, and then the at sign, work. So, artists at work. And um, just search Facebook, and you can find that. The Artist Sanctuary has the word da in front of it, so it's the Artist Sanctuary. You can find us there by that. You can find my artwork at Heidi Bacon Art. And um, so just like and explore.
explore these pages and, and get inspired. And if you're a sponsor who wants to support the arts and artists and want to be a sponsor for Artists at Work broadcast um, on bbsradio.com, um, which is also TV and social media internationally, then please contact me um, directly through one of those pages. And um, if you're an artist who wants to be spotlighted, then you can also do the same. Contact me that way. But thank you again, Tina. I appreciate you letting us into your studio, seeing where you work, and a little bit about you. Just, just thrilled that you were here to join us. Thank you, Heidi. You're welcome. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye-bye.